long day I got a lot to say It feels like I'm carrying a two-ton weight I go see a friend Hello, I'm Monsignor Patrick Winslow. And I am Father Matthew Kauth. And we are speaking from the rooftop. A podcast brought to you by 10 Books, in which we invite you to join our conversation out here in the open air. Where we look out upon the world around us from the rooftop of the church and share with you what we see. Makes me Well, hello. Good morning. <laughs> oh, we're back. It's been a beautiful, beautiful Easter season. Absolutely. And the weather has been quite lovely as well as the festivities and the graces that are given. And we were thinking this morning that given the fact that it's all over the news, we might just touch for a second upon this Supreme Court decision. Well, it's not a decision yet. So... Um, it's a leak regarding a draft mm-hmm. of a proposed majority decision. Mm-hmm. So in these uh, legal proceedings at the Supreme Court, I'm not an expert, but I know a little bit about it. Uh, you, drafts go round and round and round. Uh, judges may change opinions. They may make concurring opinions. They may have dissenting opinions. And so the way they kind of make the sausage, if you will, is they share these opinions with one another. And uh, there is a sense of who's signing on and whether it's the majority or the minority. And that can change because the judges can uh, refine their legal thinking and through the process switch sides or maybe come up with the same decision, but for different legal reasoning, what they call a concurring opinion. So we don't know what the decision of the court is. There's certainly an indication that this is an authentic leak, which is itself a bit of a, a scandal uh, because it's not meant for a political pressure. The whole point of the court is to very soberly, very clearly interpret the Constitution. Um, the other thing I would say about it is that should the decision be to overrule Roe v. Wade and the Casey decision before and establish a new precedent in the Dobbs cases, which is the one they're hearing now. Mm -hmm. So should they overrule those previous precedents? What that means is that the the electorate will decide on decisions about abortion. Right now, as it stands, the interpretation that abortion is a constitutional right protects abortion and its access from the electorate. So you could have um, a vast majority of the people in America that think there needs to be some reasonable restrictions, but they could never actually enact them because the Constitution protects it. So overturning Roe and putting in a new legal precedent simply allows the electorate to make democratic decisions about regulations with respect to abortion. So the pro-life movement, it's a good start, but it's by far not from over. Right. I pretty much stopped listening once you compared jurisprudence to sausage making. (laughs) Um, 
All right, intellectual I could, see, I could see the the Supreme Court justices and why they wear those black robes as they're in there <laughs> the grinding pork. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. I mean, at the end of the day, the question that I have, uh, the first question that I have is who leaked and why? I mean, is it a test balloon? And if it is a test balloon, if they're attempting to uh, court public opinion or at least take the temperature of it, um, which side did it? What do you think? Mm. I mean, that's all conjecture and speculation. Of course, everyone's engaging. That's why it's fun. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's more logical to me that somebody who um, would, would throw this sort of Hail Mary pass to prevent the overruling of Roe. Right. So as to provide, rather to rally troops for political pressure at the Supreme Court, which is what we're seeing now. And um, also, I think there's more political reasons for someone of that position to do something like this. Hard to know, because in the end, I think, uh, you know, uh, from a political analysis, which is certainly not what we're, we're about in terms of our conversations, but just from a quick political analysis, this issue is going to be digested, whether it's now or whether it was when the, when the decision will actually come out, say in June, which is normally the time frame when these decisions are released, uh, which is just about a month from now, there's going to be a lot of digesting its implications. And I think the more and more people recognize that this just returns the issue to the democratic process, right. um, the less uh, uh, people out there will be, um, how should I say, pro-choice people will be alarmed, right? They're just not going to have this absolute constitutional protection. The electorates will be able to make some decisions about it. For the pro-life movement, it's not going to stop here, right? Just because it's no longer considered to be part of the Constitution doesn't mean that the life efforts are done. I mean, I, I think I heard something recently this morning saying California is considering putting abortion into its constitution as a right. constitutional right in California. Right. right. Uh, you know, so it just means that a lot of the pro-life battles will take place on the state level right. for, um, uh, for, you know, one state versus another. And I think that the national pro-life movement will shift to have its goal to have written into the constitution that the constitutional protections are afforded to those in the womb. You know, I think that that would be the goal of the pro-life movement, to afford legal protection to the child in the womb. And the current thrust and goal of the other side, of course, is to make sure that we permit infanticide. Simply. Right. So acknowledging that it doesn't really matter if the person is in the womb or out of the womb, it's a completely arbitrary barrier and timeline. Mm -hmm. And so there is a significant push currently going on that we simply change the wording. We don't use the word infanticide because, of course, that still strikes a bit of shock and horror into the average human person that uses his own rationality. But at the same time, if you can change the word and change the, 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 the perception of the thing, could you get the American public, as it were, used to the fact that you can simply kill a child? Because of course it's happened consistently in history. Could it happen again? Um, and I think that the, the test balloon, whatever it was, or the attempt at the Hail Mary Pass, as you say, is very much in keeping with what we've seen in the last five to ten years relative to um, the oppressed, quote-unquote, rising up. And that kind of gets us to a discussion of what's popularly now known as the woke culture. Any thoughts about that? Many. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is it going to put me to sleep? Uh, <laughs> likely. Um, very likely. Well, so I'll start off by just speaking very broadly. On the one hand, there is something I like about the boat culture. There is mm-hmm. something I like mm-hmm. about it. I like the impulse and the instinct to be sympathetic to other people. Right, right. Um, I like uh, trying to relate to other people's circumstances that are not your own. And I think that should be a first instinct and impulse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that level of sympathy uh, is, I think, part and parcel to the type of love and respect we should have for one another. Where I see it, however, go awry is when people are hypersensitive. And hypersensitivity, I think, has an element of sinfulness. Just as I would say, lacking sympathy for others is in some way a sin against charity. And I would go into the other direction of saying that being overly sensitive, I think, is a sin against charity too, Mm -hmm. or at least some type of sin, because uh, this oversensitivity is such a Mm -hmm. self-absorption that somebody could say something that triggers you and there's no reasonable, there's there's just a reasonable explanation as to why uh, you should be triggered. It's a hypersensitivity within you, which screams of a self-centeredness and a self-absorption that is, I think, disordered and disproportionate. Mm -hmm. And I think that that extreme is very harmful. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, I see something positive about moving in the direction of sympathizing with others. On the other hand, a hypersensitivity, I think, is a deep problem. Yeah. I I remember reading back in college, gosh, we were studying various philosophers and, and studying Karl Marx in particular. And, of course, this is where this sort of ideology comes from, right? That, that his own phraseology, which is to wake people up to their class oppression. So you have these particular groups that are oppressed. And in this case, for Marx, it was simply the, the class, those who owned property. And it was contrary to a kind of liberalism, which does leave people out sometimes. I mean, the difficulty with Marx is he was reacting to something. He was a bright guy. I think he was ghastly wrong about the human person and about the outcomes of such um, demolitions of class society, societal classes. But at the same time, he's reacting to something, which is that the difficulty with a rights-based sort of um, liberalism that allows for you know, both democracy but also private property and, and capitalism, et cetera, is that it can lead to the, the, the privileged class. And in such a way that those who are engaging successfully and doing well don't have any necessarily any incentive, as it were, um, to be concerned about other persons. Um, like obviously, love. like love, right? Like you There's said no about lo- being genuinely sensitive to, love, yeah. to and all the kinds of charitable things that we should be engaging in. Again, these are just aberrations of something that is is quite positive in itself. But the, I just remember the the phrase. The phrase was something like, "Your freedom ends where oppression begins." And so the opposite of actually sort of being conscious and awake. No, you saying that that phrase is coming out of Marx. Right, right, Marxism. right, right. And the, the, I, and I, it's too long since I've read sure, those sure, things. Sure. So the spinoffs that were from the various sort of architects 
philosophical architects uh, post-Marx, because you couldn't, you can't really say Marx anymore because his philosophy ended with about a, approximately 100 million people dead. Right. Um, so you can't really use his name, mm -hmm. um, but you can use his ideologies. And that instead of having it just be a class thing, um, it's, it's gotten into the culture, right? That it's, it's a cultural oppression. It's a racist oppression. It's a, it's a, it's a gender oppression. So if you're part of the oppressed class, then anything, including violence, is worthy of you engaging in to throw down the oppressors. And the oppressors are a vast minority now of people. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> everyone jumps on the bandwagon of being oppressed. Um, and I, I, I think I, I like the phrase woke um, intrinsically. Because, well, I wouldn't agree that that's a wokeness. I, I think it's a sort of it's one of those words that says the exact opposite of what it's attempting to convey. In other words, that you have to have a sort of make-believe. It's almost like a dream. A make-believe that the, um, the oppressors, as it were, are attempting to damage you. Um, and because, of course, there's always injustice going on all over the place, all the time. That's, that's, the, that's the nature of life. And we should want, as you say, to be sensitive to that, to see ourselves in someone else's shoes, etc., but I think it's a sort of, when I say make-believe as an opposite of woke or kind of like a dream, when you hold something that's so contrary to reason and so antithetical to what is right before your eyes, everyone has to hold it and everyone has to affirm you constantly, even at the point of violence, because if you don't, then you're going to see again what's right in front of your eyes. The kind of make-believe that's taking place relative to some of these um, particular interest groups, um, it, it makes life frightening for everyone. Mm. And it, it is also subjective to draw a line and say, this is where your rights end right, sure. and my oppression begins. Exactly. Because that's all in the eye of the beholder. Right, right, now, on the one right. hand, you can't avoid drawing lines. Like, for example, our democratic republic, its constitution protects certain minority rights. Mm -hmm. uh, and it does that precisely to protect people against a tyranny right. of a majority uh, because there are certain rights that are endowed by our creator that are inviolable. And we articulate that. We root them in God. Purpose of a society. Of exactly. The and so we have to draw lines uh, of, uh, regarding where someone's rights end uh, so as not to lead to an oppression of another. But we usually do the we do draw those lines um, very reasonably, and they're not predicated on everybody's own personal sense right. of comfort. Well, they're typically external, not internal. Exactly, they're external <laughs> metrics where you draw the lines. This is your property. This is mine. Exactly. You can't hit my body. I can't hit yours. Right. Um, but now, it, as one, if you feel oppressed, right. then suddenly everybody has to comport to your personal set of parameters. Do you, do you think and that's a that, problem. Do you think that on some level, the, the whole feeling oppressed or having to find blame somewhere outside of oneself um, for the way that you feel the way you do and the difficulties that you have, the suffering that's probably terribly genuine on, on many cases, do you think that has anything to do with the fact that we just don't really believe in original sin anymore? And what I mean by that is if you realize that you're sort of broken, not, not depraved, but broken, that, that there's a limp inside of you. Um, we classically call it concupiscence. You believe in original sin, then 
you're more likely uh, to understand that I'm, I'm, I'm not what I should be. And some of it's my fault and some of it's not. But the project remains the same. By virtue of divine grace, I can become what, what I'm supposed to be, what, I'm, what I desire to be. So the fault you, doesn't lie. Well, I mean, I would go even further. I would, what I would say, because I have thought in the past, which is matching up to what you're saying, but slightly differently, um, is that it seems that those who are in the woke world believe that the remedies lie in these legislations, these systemic changes. Mm-hmm. As though somehow these systemic changes are going to expunge what ails us. It's their baptism, for example. It's going to wash us clean and change us into a perfect right, people right, and right. society. Where there is no injustice, there is no oppression, etc. Right. And the problem is, as you point out, it's rooted in us. The problems are rooted in us. So uh, we're going to have injustice in society insofar as injustice reigns within the hearts of men and women. And we're going to have justice in society insofar as justice is rooted in the hearts yes. of men and women. Which is really ironic if you think about it, because in, 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 a, in a Bill of Rights kind of a, mm-hmm. of, of a democracy, um, you have on the one hand external rights, as we said before, and they have internal senses of oppression. And the remedy that they propose is to have um, very different external uh, rights, such that they will not longer, no longer feel oppressed internally. I mean, I hadn't really considered it that way, but there is a sort of creed to the whole thing, this sacramental oh, yeah. system. It, it is. It really it, it is an attempt to wash uh, man, male and female, human society clean. And it's through systemic change and wokeism and, and indoctrination. I mean, I think there is a genuine belief. It's a type of, um, um, oh, what, which, what, oh gosh, what was it? Was it Pelagianism? Where, uh, where you, um, it's not Pelagianism. I, I'm drawing a blank on it. But it's where you, you believe, rather, a certain teaching saves you. Hmm. It was one of the early, one of the early heresies. That a certain teaching? Gnosticism. Oh, teacher, you mean. Yeah, or Gnosticism. Okay. So that the teaching itself oh, right, is salvific. Right, 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 right. Right, so as long as you appropriate the teaching, you know, an early Christian heresy, mm-hmm. as long as you appropriate the teaching, that itself saves you, right? I mean, it's kind of in the Gnostic lane. It is a bit, yeah. Um, you know, that the knowledge is what saves you. So the woke kind of follows along in those, that sort of Gnostic line of thinking, that you embrace the woke doctrines and dogmas, it brings salvation to you, and of course you have to impose it on everyone else. But the reality is it brings no salvation, no interior freedom, no internal happiness. I've never seen a more unhappy group of people. I know. I mean, you want to talk about dour-faced individuals? Mm. I mean, if everything offends you, you Mm. can never be happy. I find it interesting that Persons that would not normally align with us, in particular comedians, oh, yeah. are coming out. You against can't some laugh of at yourself because you can't laugh. You can't. <laughs> I, one of the things we I tell the guys here in the seminary is that everyone's going to get made fun of mm-hmm. with frequency and perhaps to a fault. <laughs> right. But you have to because you you can't take yourself so seriously. Because mm-hmm. um, we are risible kinds of creatures, right? We're the kinds of creatures that. Um, can laugh, but are also laughable. We're, we're silly. 
We mm. even look a little funny. So it's <laughs> we also tell them they're not permitted to make fun of us. Well, yeah, I'm sure that they don't do that behind our backs. No, <laughs> no, it's not like they they mock or, for that Constantly. matter, mimic. Constantly. I don't. I, do, have you ever heard them mimic deserve. you? Have they? Have I you have heard, heard any that there is one or two guys that that can do it. I've never heard them. We do used it. to do it in the seminary. We, we used, used to do it all mimic. the time. Now, and some were better at it. I mean, I could never yeah, mimic right, anyone. Right. I think that they they've certainly got my mannerisms down, especially like oh, yeah. when I preach. They they've they've gotten uh, all your my gestures down. Mm-hmm. But I've not heard them do my voice. But they do each other as well. Um, and it's hilarious to listen to. They oh, I can imagine. Really good mimics. Do you? But you, you recognize you. Oh, absolutely. Well, in the gestures, they've not yet done the voice and what I say got it, to my got face. It, got it. Um, previous seminarians have done that. That are no longer here. I'm not saying whether I made them leave or not. But <laughs> no, no, they just moved on to the next next level. So some guys were good at with it. stern warnings in yeah. their uh, evaluation. Well, you know, I don't know that I would recognize somebody mimicking me. Yeah. Because. I hear my voice, like right now I hear my voice in a certain mm-hmm. way. And if I, if I play this back or if we listen to the podcast, it doesn't sound like me, mm-hmm. at least to my ear. You hear it yourself. Because I hear it through my, the resonance in of my your, skull. In cranium, and, exactly. Yeah. And my, it just my sounds voice differently. Sounds, I think it's for everyone. Right? So I think I want to kind of modulate to a lower tone to kind of accommodate, I see. Uh, you know, a better sound. But, you know, but it's true. I, 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 so I don't know that I would even recognize an accurate mimic of me. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of wondering if you had walked in and discovered that they were mimicking you. or uh, Well, every time they want to do you, I know they begin with, hey, Chico. <laughs> the, the hey, secret, Chico. You want to know what the secret is? It takes you can't remember me, their names. Yeah, it takes me like a <laughs> half a minute. Chico. <laughs> yeah, I'm like going through my mind. All right. And, you know, they all have nicknames too. Sure. And, and it's, it gets complicated because well, and if you don't have like live here, it's very hard to here. keep up with the nicknames because they also change. Mm-hmm. And so poor Father Gober, the vocation director, whenever we're discussing the men, I, I only go by their nicknames. Yeah. And I sometimes forget their real names. And he doesn't know the nicknames. And so we try to figure out who the, who the person well, we is we're talking You know, it was funny about. this morning I called, a, I called one of the guys, you know, you know Mighty Mouse, right? We won't say his real name. Right, right, right. But he's just, um, you know, he's just, you know, just a... Uh, a wiry young man and he's got a lot of um, potency and sharp thinking and gusto behind him so he just always from the beginning reminded me of mighty mouse Mm -hmm. and of course it occurred to me this morning that that's a cartoon from my generation he doesn't know that he has no concept of of course so i when i ran into the hallway i said do you even know what mighty mouse is because i mentioned (laughs) because i called him mighty mouse earlier and he said, no. And I said, let me show you. So I pulled up a YouTube cartoon. <laughs> of course, you know, chock full of violence. I mean, we grew up with a lot of violence. Flying Tom and Jerry, it, remember that? It, oh, my gosh. But, you know, it didn't, I don't think it harmed Bugs us. Bunny, I don't, oh, I don't I feel it. like I'm more violent it because it's a cartoon. That's a whole other conversation we can have. But um, it was hysterical. Well, Mighty Mouse saved the and day. They're all, and they're all, they're all canceled. Oh, they, they they're are, all canceled they by They all have, like, culture. warnings on them. Yeah, you can't. They're violent. Yeah. Bugs Bunny's canceled. yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a lot of wit. I mean, I do realize there was, there was a lot, lot of, of insensitivity. I get that. And I want to go back to the first point of wokeism, right. which is I do, I, I'm in strong support of having an inclination to be sympathetic to other people. I think at the end of the day, you simply can't force people by law and by canceling mm-hmm. them and by destroying their lives. You can't force people to care about other people. That's a good point. And that's kind of what it's doing. Well, well, that's, I mean, that's the whole thing. The real drama for justice, for charity, is within the hearts of the individual. And this is where you have to have 
an electorate that has some other element uh, forming and fashioning the souls of the people toward the good in order to have a good outcome mm -hmm. in elections and a democratic right. society. If you don't have that, uh, you could have, uh, uh, you know, imagine, for example, you have the satanic creed of my will be done. You have a satanic, uh, a large satanic cult in America and they're dominating the electoral process. What mm -hmm. do you think you're going to get of course. In, uh, in laws? And you're going to say, what? Oh, well, it's a democracy, so it's got to be good. Well, no. No, no on the contrary. No, <laughs> if no. If it's a virtuous citizenship, then it's good. That's it's... the point. So a democracy is predicated, its goodness is predicated on the, the goodness of the individuals. And right. that goodness and that formation of the individuals, at least as our founders understood it, was coming from religion. It was coming from right religion. They were not going to enter into the, the discussion of which one was right religion, but they certainly respected the role of religion in society to make the electorate more virtuous. And apart from that, you will not have good outcomes in a democracy. And the kind of investment that had to be there to have, I don't want to get into questions on voting rights and things of that yeah. nature, it's very complicated, but I do think there's something to be said for those who have investment um, in the local community to be the ones who have some say in the local community. Mm. In other words, if you're, if you're, um, you, you like uh, Lake Tahoe and so you have a summer home there and you fly in there on a given weekend and that's about it. Do you have a say in what happens to the local citizens in Lake Tahoe, the ones that live there and work right. and everything else? You're there four weeks a year. That sort of a thing, a again, the, the principle, the church's principle of subsidiarity, I think, matters a lot, that you take care of things the best way on the smallest level and the local level. The most appropriate um, the local most level. The most appropriate level. So, I'm very grateful that you took the moment to define the term. Well, I didn't really. Didn't no, well, I'm just term. saying because I didn't have to stop you again. <laughs> You're welcome. I thought you were going to catch me earlier. I said you did, there was, there was but a you word. did define it. No, there was a word I did say earlier, and I thought concupiscence. I got. I don't know. It was another one, but oh. I got past you. Let's listen to the podcast and see what I said. All right. Well, that'll be my you know like find Baldo in this picture <laughs> kind of thing. So before we go, time flies. Before we go, I want to thank those men and women that work in the arena of the chiropractic. I was not able to stand this morning, basically, and someone. Uh, labored hard on this back because once you get over the age of 35 you by definition have back problems right just a problem of standing up I suppose but I am fascinated by by the whole network of the back in other words in your spine and all the different um, uh, nerves and things that that where the pain is is never where the problem is that no. blows my mind that's right? astounding and so i always i always go in and say the same thing you got to work on this over here that's where the pain is and he never does he works right. on something else and the pain goes away or at least yeah. it makes you makes you makes it functional and, and livable so, right, so i have a, I have a it's, it's a latin question here a what so a latin question so chiropractic i see at the end mm. when i study latin that was always an indicator of an adjective and yet the whole chiropractic healthcare, they use that word like a noun. Mm. Am I wrong? Well, it's a Greek word. 
<laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Cairo, yeah, of course. Yeah, Cairo. But yeah. that IC, so does does Greek have the similar? I'll have to. Where the IC have, functions as I'm, an adjective? I'm no scholar. Because they will always language. say, you know, chiropractic. And, yeah. and my ear hears it relative to Latin training, mm. which is as an adjective. And like, well, what noun are you modifying here? Do we have to supply our own noun? Mm. Is it chiropractic care? Is I, it chiropractic medicine? Is I think it, the etymology of chiropractor, we, we can look that up. All right. Well, we're going to have to get back to you on that one then. I, I mean, to our listening audience. But before we go, you got anything? Oh, before we go, I flew in an airplane without a mask. Did you really? I did. Uh, the vast majority of people were that way. It was nice to see faces and people and not have that dirty sock around my face. Um, you know, I, you, you know me, I have a science background. So early on, without weighing in too heavily into the old mask debate, which thank heavens it's an old debate now, I actually looked up the average size of a cluster of the coronavirus and it was anywhere between 50 to 500 nanometers wide mm. because the masks are just physical barriers there's nothing chemically going on really it's just really physical barriers and so i looked it up it was between 15 500 nanometers the n95 mask has basically a filtering ability of anything 250 nanometers and above right so that means that anything less than 250 has a, has a way to pass through it uh, so, I thought, okay, N95s, you have a real help here, right? And everyone knew that. No one contested right. that. So, then I took your average cotton weave, and what is the, <laughs> I looked it all up, and I said, what is the, you know, what is the gap? So, and then I drew an equivalent. In the end, in the end, the equivalency was this. The average coronavirus size between 50 and 500 nanometers passing would be like sand, thrown at something between chicken wire and chain link fence. Mm. That's the level of protection a mask was getting. I think we pretty much already knew that, didn't we? Yeah. So from so again, I, I, I did the math myself. I, I said, I can't, there's so many opinions out here. I, you know, I know I can do this. I can figure this out. Mm. I went, I did, I did the work, found the sources, reliable sources for the sizes of things. And it wasn't very difficult. Mm. So I have, had such a hard time uh accepting this false sense of security on my face right because it was kind of it was a false sense of security based upon the just the math mm-hmm. um except for people wearing n95s that's a totally different thing and people who needed to take extra precautions they were smart to to make sure they had that n95 but unless we're all compelled to wear n95 masks to me the whole thing seemed uh kind of pointless based upon my number so long story short it was nice be free to it was nice to fly mm. without having to put on something that was really not doing much at that all just made because i never really had an i didn't have an n95 <laughs> mask it was practically cheesecloth well while you were talking and i wasn't paying attention i did think, i did remind me that made by hand what done by hand is that what it means yeah done by hand kiro is it's hand, an adjective right Right? It's done by hand. It's pretty awesome. Done by hand. That's yeah. That. But is it an adjective? Is uh, I don't understand grammar. I gotta go. All right, we gotta. We gotta. We do have. <laughs> we actually have some seminarians that are they're better at Greek uh, than uh, than uh, others. So we can ask them. We'll ask. Don't we have someone going off to study Greek this summer? We do. We have a couple guys. Yeah. yeah. So we'll make sure that we get an answer to that question and get back to everybody. Have a great day and week. Very good. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of From the Rooftop. For updates about new episodes, special guests, and exclusive deals for From the Rooftop listeners, sign up at rooftoppodcast.com. And remember, for more great ways to deepen your faith, check out all the spiritual resources available at tanbooks.com. And we'll see you again next time. From the Rooftop. Rooftop.